welcome to Beyond BIM. Today's episode is a discussion about the evolution of BIM and the transition towards all things new, such as digital twins, modern methods of construction, off-site construction, and AI. I had the pleasure of speaking to none other than David Phillip. I'm sure that for listeners in the UK, many will have come across David as a prominent lead figure into the UK BIM mandate. David was seconded into the UK Cabinet Office in 2011 as Head of BIM Implementation and was a key contributor to the UK Public Sector BIM Mandate and has continued to support through his role as Impact Director at Construction Innovation Hub. He was also seconded into the Scottish Future Trust as chair of the Scottish BIM Delivery Group. With over 25 years in industry, David is a chartered construction manager by background and a global BIM consultancy director for ACOM. His work with BIM has a global reach from UK, Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, and even the Baltics. As an Estonian myself, we even share something in common, because David, as it turns out, has even got a digital residency in Estonia. As always, we discuss all things digital, but most importantly, what the penultimate motivation is for policy and government with these transitions. Because of David's experience in the policy realm since the start of it all with BIM Task Group, I thought it was best to get his perspective on the evolution of BIM and discuss where we may be heading. And now let's hear more directly from David himself. Dave, thanks ever so much for joining us today. I wanted to start off with getting a bit of insight from your perspective on what the current state of BIM in the UK is and what has the journey to get to this state been like, particularly since the inception of the BIM task group and the vision that you guys had at the beginning. Thank you, Eric, and lovely to be here today. It's, it's actually, it's, I was just thinking about this this morning. I think it's hard to believe that we started this journey in the UK uh, over a decade ago. I mean, time has flown. I think sometimes you, we underestimate how much we've actually came uh, within that decade. And it's interesting if you go back to think about around about, what, 2010, 2011, all we actually had was a hypothesis for BIM. And actually, it was probably less about BIM. It was actually about data. And I was actually thinking about how open shareable data could actually help us if we start to collaborate better. You know, the question was, could it help us deliver better? Could we do it at lower cost? But also looking in terms of carbon as well, you know, could we be more altruistic in terms of what we're doing? So when we actually looked at the then government construction strategy, it was very much about trying to make a very much transformational change. It was going to test. And actually, I was thinking about it last night, you know, what we were trying to do, I think, was actually start to create, start to build lots more data and test data. So it was very much, you know, a data-centric type question within there. And I think through the early pilot projects, we showed that BIM, better quality data, could undoubtedly help us deliver capital projects for less. But the title of today's is obviously Beyond BIM. And I think we've now gone beyond that. We're starting to use that data to test other parts of the life cycle. Let's let's think about what it was back then. We were, you know, we had hypothesis, but we were also trying to create, remember this is back in terms of trying to create procurement reform back then. 
we were trying to build it and to bake it into business cases and to procurement to do things better. But I think one of the big things was also we were trying to create a pool and a push. Now, the pool was obviously government as a client becoming better at buying and using data. So back to, you know, I'll be unapologetic, it was very much about data within there as well. But it was the same time, it was giving a push to industry. You know, it was starting to think about how we start to level up or upskill in terms of how we use data and our digital tools. And in fact, having to retool as well. But I think one of the big things as well to look back in terms of that push and pull, and I think it was, it was that sort of nexus of trying to create a behavioral change with there to actually create a partnership between industry and the supply chain within there. And actually think about the dynamics and behaviours of a supply chain that come more efficient and collaborative and working together. So I think we'd be really proud in the UK in terms of what we're doing and how we've actually, where we are now. I think we've got the UK BIM framework, which I think is world class in terms of harmonisation with a real focus on information management and actually how we use that data. And if you look at you know, what we've done for me, the, the big part of it is we're brought industry together. You look at the work that industry is doing. This is people taking time out of their days to you know, create guidance around there as well. And I think looking back, one of the things we didn't do, we didn't get stuck in the weeds. We had a real clear vision and we let the supply chain industry actually innovate around about it. You know, we set a direction of travel. And I think we're obviously in that sort of next vector with there as well, where we start to think about digital twins. And I think that was one of the big things when what was BIM Level 2 was always seen as a staging post. It was there, you know, start creating this data, start to be able to use it. And then we could start to build, if you like, the use cases out, start to move from, if you like, a deterministic to much more probabilistic and outcome-based approach for the use of digital twinning. Yeah. And if we go back and think about the policy changes, what would you say were some of the key lessons when surrounding the BIM policy? And now when we're moving into the stage of having the ISO standard, what what will that help achieve? So what are some of the key lessons that you've understood to become necessary for policy around BIM? Yeah, so I think it was, uh, we've seen lots of policies in the UK. Uh, let's start off with HM government first. And I think one of the things I thought was really important was we didn't have a BIM strategy, uh, sorry, a BIM mandate. It was a government construction strategy. It was holistic. It was part of a wider period of reform. We were looking at new forms of contract that were much more collaborative in nature, our contractor engagement. We were looking at soft landings, how we start to think about, you know, closing that operational chasm and BIMing the data there. So it was much more holistic in nature, which was really important. It wasn't just, let's go and do BIM. It was actually, let's tie all these things together. Think about procurement. There's going to be much, you know, bringing people together, much more collaborative and start to create these dynamics within the supply chain. Government soft landings was there to engage the end user, put more focus on outcome. And we had BIM there very much underpinning it through better data and information management. So for me, one of the big things was it wasn't about BIM in isolation. It was bringing all these constellations of, of key themes together. And, and up in Scotland, obviously where I live as well, I was lucky enough to you know chair the, the Scottish journey within there. And actually Scotland does actually have hard policy. It's a, it's a policy item. And one of the things in Scotland was early doors realised that to try and get what was then BIM level two to try and get everybody there probably wasn't achievable. You know, local authorities and such like weren't there yet. So with Scotland, the word was proportionality. 
How do we get different people? And one of the things the Scottish uh, policy was about, you know, creating a grading to help get everybody onto the digital ramp, get the basics in place, upskill or level up everyone to BIM level one, better information management, common data environment, security, and then move within there as well. So about proportionality within there. But I think one of the big things is within the UK, despite the fact we've got, you know, four devolved nations, you know, through Centre for Digital Build Britain, we have a home nations working group helping bring everybody together, you know, create, innovate, and always trying to move the needle, which I think is fantastic as well. I think one of the big things as well, and I always think, you know, why did I kind of get into this was, I go back actually, it was a report that went out by, it was a construction excellence report, I'm sure you've read it, never waste a good crisis. And for me, that was one of the big things at the time as well. We were moving away from, I think, this theme of construction to thinking much more about a built environment within there. And we were starting to look at the value of a whole life approach uh, to our built assets within there. And I think one of the big things is our policies and such like are, are moving on. We're moving much more to value-based, how we use data for value-based procurements, how we can think about better operation within there. And I think when we think about our built environment, one of the things that's really came out in the recent years is thinking about much more a natural built environment as well. And that's become a key thing, how we can use our data to actually get a much more, especially low carbon built environment as well. And I think that's been key as well. And as we go beyond what was level two BIM. So when you say natural built environment, what do you ref- mean by that? What does that refer to? Yeah. So I mean, I always think, you know, we've got, we've got multiple layers from our social uh built environment, our buildings, our linear infrastructure. But, you know, we think in terms of everything we've got from, I'll give you a practical example for me, you know, I live in Scotland, we've got lots of, you know, forests around there. Now we've got to think about how we use these and actually things, what happens if we want to move to say much more timber-based procurement using say cross-laminated timber what does that mean in digital context especially in carbon within there so if we think much more holistically about the data around about our natural built environment and how we use that the impact of what we do i think that's hugely important as well it's not just about the buildings think about all the different materials you know as we're all the things we're doing think about you know especially in scotland renewable energy within there we've got to think much more holistically Now, to do that, it means we're having to share data better as well. I think it's obviously a big part of the Centre for Digital Build Britain programme. It's just trying to create an information management framework. BIM Level 2, as it was back then, was very much probably looking at data and digital at a project level. And we're now thinking of much more about federation and moving to that world of integration where we can bring data sets together. And of course, we're trying to overcome the challenges of interoperability to do that. And that's quite a big hurdle and challenge it just um, everywhere across all sectors, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think that the big thing as well is as we come into a new financial year. I've personally seen a lot of clients now thinking about the RMI marketplace, the repair, maintain, improve and deep retro. So that's asking the question, how do we use digital and data to actually do better with the built assets we already have? Now to do that, we have to think much more about linking data sets together, that unification of data. And that's often using legacy systems, might be asset registry systems, it might be computer assisted facilities management systems. That some of them have been, as I use the term, homebrewed. They maybe built it themselves, set off an MS DOS system, at, and REST APIs and web services aren't there yet. So I think interoperability is one of our biggest challenges. But 
at the same time, I think we're seeing clients with, you know, real appetite to actually bring these sets together within there. And the work that's going on with anthologies and such like, it's hugely important, I think, to actually make this transformational leap from project to program to enterprise integration and cross-sector integration as well with data. And uh, the other thing that you already touched upon was digital twins. Now, some may have already become uh, bored with the term. I've heard people say they're frustrated with hearing about the concept constantly within our sector. Others are really excited about the topic. So how likely are we to succeed in this transition that you talked about going from BIM to digital twin? And do you envisage it may suffer from similar challenges that we first had with BIM adoption? Yeah, it's like, it's like anything, isn't it? You know, anytime we generally get a new concept within there, a, it can be a bit, a bit overplayed at times. You know, people people try to jump and say, oh, let's forget about our foundational piece and let's jump to digital twinning. So for me, as we think about digital twins, I think BIM is a hugely important part of it. Let's be honest, there's no point in connecting dynamic data to something that is bad quality data anyway. So BIM, for me, is hugely important and getting good quality data to actually connect to that digital representation that we now want to connect to is hugely important. Now, for me, if you like, there's a scalability about what digital twins are. And it's back to proportionality. So for a client, you might want to just to be able actually to view, you know, data points, if you like, dynamic data from a sensor or from a BMS system to actually maybe having, if you like, a, a bi-directional link that maybe for an actuator you can actually do uh, within there as well. For me, digital twinning is is undoubtedly where we're, we're going to, as, as you know yourself, I mean, I think it's a simple case that... Uh, we're probably forging new, if you like, new relationships with our built environment or technologies within there. And I think it's inevitable that we will start to create that sort of cyber physical environment. You know, we blur the lines between the, the physical and digital. And I think what was BIM level two now, the UK BIM framework is that foundational piece for our digital twins. I also think we need to shine more light on the Gemini principles as well. Because I think if we build anything, we need to have, if you like, a, you know, a consensus document that's got our values and behaviours as to what we're going to do. It. Plus, it also puts a focus on why. There's no point in creating digital twins if we don't have a clear use case. Yeah. Look, now, why do I think digital twins are exciting? And you know, I started my career as you know, a young sort of construction engineer, construction manager from there. And, and for me, it was about oh, how do we build better, faster, better quality? Then PFI came in. I started to think about, wow, how do we start to think about now using data for you know the operational better plan preventative maintenance? And then part of that time, you know, as we're doing PPP, there was a realization, I think, actually why I started my career. I wanted to get better outcomes. I wanted to, you know, a realization that our, our built environment actually, if we get it right, you know, it's it's either a break on society or an accelerator, isn't it? If we can build better quality hospitals we might actually get better patient recovery. We might get better clinical excellence. We might get better infection control. And there was suddenly a realization if we could start to get better data about how our assets perform through digital twinning, actually, this is why I wanted to do it. You know, I wanted to get better societal value from there. So for me, the bits, it's, it's back to that constellation. We've got BIM there as a good quality digital representation. We've got soft landings that's focusing on outcomes, performance, and the end user needs, the voice of the, 
end user within there. And suddenly, you know, through digital twinning, we can start to think about dynamic data sets that are going to give us real-time data and analytics as to how an asset's performing and getting that refinement, the health checks if there. But we've got to think more and more, I think, about actually how do we get go beyond operation? I think about performance, performance in terms of mm-hmm. organizational, if that's educational, if it's to do with pedagogy or if it's to do with uh, clinical excellence, we need to really focus. Now, that brings different dynamics into our built environment, doesn't it? We are now, we're now dealing with surgeons, we're dealing with medical. Let's say we're doing a digital twin of a hospital. To get that right, we've got to now back to integration, we've got to in- integrate with healthcare informatics, not just the construction data, but actually the patient data, the patient flows. We've got to think about how we can link the other data sets and maybe look at if a patient's going to be coming out, you know, is there the residence, is it fit for them to go to for recovery within there, is a social one? So suddenly it comes a much more digital ecosystem. We've got to connect all these ones. So. It's a, I think it's a very exciting period as we go through. So, yeah, yeah, personally, digital twins excites me. And I think it, probably don't think so much about the term digital twin. It's the whole industry 4.0 that we're now moving into rather than just digital twins. It's all these convergence of lots of themes. Yeah, some some people refer to it as construction 4.0. It's like our own interpretation of the industry 4.0 agenda. But one thing that I did want to touch upon is, do you also then envisage that it may start out with the similar challenges as BIM did, which is who pays for it? Who owns the data and the twin, as we might have already seen at the start of BIM, where we had the challenge of, who pays and, and funds the implementation of BIM? And then the questioning of who owns the data. So do you envisage similar challenges or even more exacerbated challenges associated with that? So, so, so let's go back, because I think is we can always get some cues from history, can't we? So back to BIM level two, the government construction strategy 2011-2016 was very much about procurement reform. How does a client become better at buying data, getting it into their business case? And I think that's one of the things that we need to do with uh, when we think about digital twinning is to get it into the business case. With, you know, the construction playbook and such like the work that uh, TIP and the Transforming Infrastructure Performance Team is doing, I think is really going to help. But, you know, government gets this, but we need to bake it into you know the business case. So you can be four or five years before you can get to a point of procurement in any design work. So we have to make sure that clients understand the value proposition. They put it in at the earliest stage of the strategic outline case. They bake it through their business case within there as well. Because it is different. Uh, you know, you think about it. So there could be some additional cost in terms of capital expenditure because in terms of, say, operational networks, we're maybe moving from, you know, different sort of federated ones from our BMS and such like to something that's much more integrated operational networks. Now, that could have a capital cost. Once we get into facilities and operational cycle, we're maybe thinking about curating a dynamic data set and a data lake for 30 years, which might have a cost of there, but more than likely we're going to have better asset management for the usage one. But here's the big part. We're going to get right downstream back to what we're talking about, our social budget. Yeah, think about how we can transform that. But 
most time folk that are looking through an optic of capital aren't looking way downstream. It's my little part of the piggy bank. Same with those in operation. So we now have to change, I think, to make this work. That Again, that partnership in terms of very much not just whole life Totex costs, but starting to think about the service version, the big, big circle that actually if we, we can prove society. So it really needs, in my view, to get the transformational is procurement reform that's more outcome driven, it's servitization as we do with other parts of our, our daily lives now, isn't it? You know, it's, we servitize so much. But so I think we need a radical rethink if we're really going to make digital twins work. We can tinker with it, we can get a dynamic, you know. How's, how's a, a you know, pump running over 24 hours? I can see the, uh, yeah. yeah, that's great, but it's not transformative, is it? Exactly. You know, to get this side to, we've got to think about new behaviours and indeed, I think, new procurement that's outcome-based to, to really make it work. So we need, we need that perfect storm. So there are, as you already covered and mentioned some of these topics, but we have modern methods of construction, off-site manufacturing, digital twins. There's also talk of paired with data, also the use of AI. A lot of exciting technologies and concepts are entering the built environment, or they have been for some time, but it seems like we're kind of really ramping it up now. So all of these push the conversation beyond BIM in many ways. What technologies or innovations are you particularly most interested in or keen to look forward to in our industry? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy technology within there. But uh, the bit that really excites me is, A, I think it's how these things converge. It's that convergence of all these, you know, creating a new DNA for a built environment. The bit I really am also interested in is the move to advanced manufacture and modern methods of construction. I think, you know, as our data sets, we get that golden thread of data that can run through into, if you like, a, a robotic landscape within there, I think is going to be really transformative within there. We're starting to see, especially out in the US, you know, what that data flow can look like, how you can very quickly configure uh, within there as well. And I think for me, it's going to help improve the efficiency of our sector, but also in terms of quality within there. But really, I think that for me, the cool part about it is it's going to attract many new entrants into a sector. It's going to make it much more diverse. If you're doing a career in, say, robotics, computer science, actually, our built environment is going to be somewhere you want to come to do it, you know, because we are doing these cool things that are changing society within there. So for me, that they're all exciting, but the world into MMC, advanced manufacturer work streams and how our data flow moves into it, I think is going to be really quite game changing. And I think... For me, we'll see young people go, wow, that's a cool sector. It's not Bob the Builder. You know, this this is a place for me that, that you know, it's diverse, it's innovative. And, you know, that's where I'd want to come and start a career. So I think, to me, that's the bit that kind of excites as well. And we are seeing, I mean, I'm lucky enough up in Scotland, we, not far from where I stay, we've got Construction Scotland Innovation Centre, you know, almost a 40,000 square foot innovation factory filled with robotics and cool things, is really transforming a sector and indeed I think set to transform our nation as well so yeah it excites me yeah and I think lastly for a little bit of inspiration for researchers and entrepreneurs in this field what advice would you give to them especially when trying to create impactful change because change is so has been so difficult in the built environment what's your piece of advice from what you've seen and witnessed in the industry so far for me, it always comes back to purpose. 
having a very clear purpose. And I think, you know, as, as I went through my career, the, the bit, especially in the last couple, is taking a much more design thinking approach within there. Really understanding, and I think we, we try and jump to then go sort of thing in terms of how, without really understanding why. So I think for me, really understanding the challenges that our customers or the supply chain, our clients actually face, really understanding what the problem we're trying to solve is, is usually important. And often I feel like less is more. We often do too much. If you got a big report, is that going to give you impact? Often sometimes that you know it's it's tools that are dynamic in nature. It might even be a simple business canvas within there, but giving people things that are practical in terms of the everyday with there, but understanding the challenge. Actually getting and speaking to what one of the things that, that I know I do is I go out there and speak to the people that then go, it's maybe a facilities manager, I go, hey, can I spend a day with you? and actually see what your challenges are within there and how the use of data can actually help you in your day job. So actually going down and meeting that end user, it might be a patient in a hospital, you know, what's their pathway look like? How can we improve it? So really relentlessly trying to understand, if you like, the challenge and the why, and then taking very much, if you like, a, a very agile approach to problem solving rather than the sort of traditional waterfall. And don't be afraid to fail, but fail fast if you are going to do it as well. Have fun as well. I think we, you know we can. We, in fact, this is we're doing exciting things. It, you know, collaboration and that. If it's not fun, then do you want to do it? And I think I look back in my career, and I think the last ten years have actually been the most fun because we're doing cool stuff. You know, it, we are collaborating. You know, we're trying to bring in this together within there. I think we want to be the vanguard of this, but you know, have fun with it as well. You know, enjoy it. Get people excited and say, "Gosh, you know, we are doing amazing stuff." You know. I think we don't often shout about you know, you know how well we are doing. I mean, yeah. I, I'm amazed by how much we've came in the last 10 years. And that's not just from a technology, but the partnerships we've forged between industry, supply chain, academia has been incredible. I think our researchers play a huge part within there as well. But we must make sure that the research, as you said, creates impact. And, you know, how do you do that? Well, you know, it's about impact pipelines. It's about having, you know, these understanding, I think, if you like, the theory of change, how we can go from research to actually creating that. You know, what does that look like in terms of how can it influence procurement? How can it influence policy within there? And it's important we can think about what these pathways look like as at the early start, you know, create an impact plan. And finally, a heartfelt thank you to all of our followers who have been with us so far. If you enjoyed this episode, then please follow us on LinkedIn or YouTube. And better yet, share this episode with your friends and colleagues.